welcome to Cosmos Quizmas. I'm Rachel, your host from the Australian Science Media Centre. For those who don't know us at the SSMC, we run Cymex, a website for journalists and the public to get the latest science news in plain English. Today, I'll be putting some of the best and brightest science journos from Cosmos to the test, quizzing them on some of the top science stories from this year. Let me introduce you to today's science gladiators, Ellen Fidian, Jacinta Bowler, and Petra Stock. We might start with you, Ellen. At what temperature are Celsius and Fahrenheit equal? Minus 40. Oh, just straight off the bat. <laughs> That's I one of those numbers that sticks in my head. I don't know why, but minus 40 <sighs> is the point that it doesn't matter. I'm glad you said that because I was like, negative 31? Like, it's going to be close. Well, I guess we can move straight on to Jacinta's first question. The 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference, known as COP27, just wrapped up in Egypt. Where will COP28 be held? I know there was talks about having one in Australia, but it can't be the next one, surely. It has to be in the future. I have no idea. I'm going to say Australia, even though I don't think that's right. You are close. There are definitely talks uh, to have it in Australia, but you're right, not next year. Uh, does anyone want to jump in and, uh, and try and steal this point? Is it Canada or am I mixing that up with COP15? It is not Canada. All right, never mind. Been a long time since Japan, so I'm just randomly going to guess Tokyo. All right, that is also incorrect. It's actually oh. not moving that far at all. It's actually going to the United Arab Emirates. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, so it's going to be at a, about a similar time as this year, so probably in about a year's time. We're, we're too excited about this year's conference. We haven't been thinking about next year's yet. That's why we don't know where it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Petra, your first question. What is the heaviest internal organ in the human body? I'm going to guess the brain. You are very close with the brain. Uh, the brain, I think, is about 200 grams lighter on average than this organ. Um, who can answer this question? It was something like the liver. It was like... Yeah, I think it's the liver. Is it the liver? It is. It Yay! is the liver. So the liver, I think, weighs about uh, 1.3, 1.5 kilograms, whereas the brain is sort of a little bit closer to, to 1, 1.3. But the heaviest, like if it wasn't internal, it would be the skin, right? Like the skin must weigh. Mm. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I did make sure to, to say internal organ yeah. because the skin, I believe, is definitely heavier than the liver. Uh, but, yes, it is all over instead of, instead of an internal internal organ. Sorry, Ellen, it's your turn. Uh, NASA this year released the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope. Who is James Webb? He was an administrator in NASA, wasn't he? He was heavily involved in the, the Apollo programs, I want to say. Um, one of the early directors. I don't think he was the first director. You have absolutely nailed that. He is he was head of NASA during most of the 1960s. He wasn't the first administrator, but he was one of the first. Um, and yes, he oversaw much of the Apollo program. And I think he uh, stepped down possibly a couple of years before um, mankind first reached the moon. Oh, he wasn't the the moon, the standing on the moon guy. I think he's, he's quite heavily credited um, as the moon guy, uh, but I'm not sure that he was actually overseeing NASA at the time, uh, at the time that they actually first stepped foot on the moon. Can you imagine being the guy afterwards? It would have been so easy. <laughs> just walk in, like, oh, great, we're on the moon, don't it. worry about it. And then never go back again, basically. A couple of times, you're done. Best yeah, job ever. So certainly a good time to be at the head of NASA, I'm sure. 
I think James Webb also kicked off the NASA art program, which is very cool, weird element of NASA that has been going for a long time, basically artworks related to space exploration. All right. Well, I think we're up to Jacinta now, aren't we? What animal organ was transplanted into a human for the first time this year? I think it was a pig because they got rid of all of the pig cells and then put it into a human to see if it worked. I'm pretty can, sure it's a pig. Can you tell me what organ it was? Um, I'm going to say a heart. Correct. Yes, it was a pig's heart. Um, Wait, if the pig organ has no pig cells, is it yeah. still a pig? Well, what they, I'm pretty sure what they do is they, like, wash the pig cells. So they, they leave the scaffold, so the structure, and they put human cells in it, but they, they wash off or wash out, I guess, all of the pig cells. So it becomes this really weird white heart-looking thing that they then put extra stuff in. It's, it's kind of gross, actually. Well, I think I'm going to have to give you a bonus point for Yay! that level of detail, especially <laughs> on the science of it all. Um, so 57-year-old David Bennett, um, he was the one who received the heart and he lived for two months um, with it, but then he died in the middle of the year. And they, they don't think that it was because his body rejected the organ, um, but the heart did fail and they think it might have been because it was infected with a pig virus or it might have not reacted very well with the drug that they used to prevent rejection. Petra, we're on to you again. When researchers discovered an ancient vampire octopus fossil, believed to be the oldest known ancestor of vampire squid and octopus, they named it after a celebrity. This is a multiple choice question. Which celebrity was it? Was it Dracula actor Bella Lugosi? U.S. President Joe Biden or Prince Philip, the late Duke of Edinburgh? Oh, my gosh. It has to be Prince Philip. How good would that be? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me it was. Unfortunately, it was not Prince Philip, though I I agree. That would have been an excellent name for a a vampire octopus fossil. Does anyone want to jump in here? I think I know this one. It was Joe Biden, wasn't it? Yes, it was Joe Biden. (laughs) Apparently, the uh, researchers chose the president because of his plans to address climate change and to fund scientific research. Do they think that's a compliment, naming a vampire octopus after him? Do they think that that's something that, that he's going to appreciate? I guess it could be worse. Jacinta, didn't you do a story earlier this year on Nicholas Spurrier having a bacterium named after her? <laughs> yeah, so Nicholas Spurrier, the health minister, had a bacteria named after her. She was stoked. She was really excited <laughs> about it. And and the guy was really excited about like calling it this. It, yeah, it was it doesn't look great from an outsider perspective. <laughs> now, for this question, we're going to get all three of you to take turns explaining something sciencey in a way a random person on the street would hopefully understand. I'll award a point to whoever I think gives the best answer. We might start with you, Ellen. How does an mRNA vaccine work? It takes the instructions for making part of a pathogen, the mRNA, uh, wraps it in fats so it can get into our cells, and then that heads into our cells. We make part of the pathogen, but not the whole thing, and that triggers our immune system to react to that part of the pathogen. So if you can get it to react to, say, the spike on a coronavirus virus, um, your immune system is then primed for those little spikes. And so you're ready to fight them off when, one come, when you come across one in the wild. 
All right, excellent. Jacinta, how would you describe an mRNA vaccine? I feel like you did a really good job, Ellen. Um, okay. <laughs> strong. So uh, DNA is like a book in a library and you can't take it out of the library. What you can do is you can photocopy the book and you can end up with pages from these books that you can take outside of the cell or library. In this particular case, you are using pages from the library that you are then putting. Actually, this analogy doesn't work because <laughs> you then have to put it. All right, you're taking the cell, you're taking the, the, the pages and you're then using those pages to be able to do something. So, for example, like cook a cake or something. And so you're using this page, maybe it's been copied lots of times, and then you're making a recipe out of it. It's going into your cell and you're making a delicious cake. That was terrible. It was so bad. <laughs> All right. Having, uh, having listened to Ellen and, and Jacinta's explanations, Petra, what have you got? Well, I know absolutely nothing about how mRNA vaccines work, but I do know they're a whiz-bang new technology <laughs> that is helping us fight COVID, and we're even going to make some in Melbourne. So get on board and have your COVID-19 mRNA best tech vaccine. <laughs> Yay! Which is not really explaining it so much as kind of selling it. Selling it. I love the whiz bang. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like that you've you've gone with three very different, um, very different options. We've had the attempt on a metaphor. We've had the um, how attempt it impacts being the main one. Day to day lives. Um, and while if the metaphor had landed, I think you would have you would have blown this away, Jacinta. I do have to give it to Ellen. <laughs> yeah, it's completely fair. Ellen, we are back to you. This question is for you and you only. Uh, Curtin University researcher Kit Prendergast discovered a new species of native bee this year. Who or what did she name the bee after? I'm going to say something like, I don't know, like Charles Darwin or something. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Charles Darwin. Anyone yeah. want to jump in on this one? Was it Western Australia, did you say? Uh, yes, it was Western Australia. It was Curtin. Was it named after their premier that they all love so much? No, it was, it was not named after Mark McGowan. Is this the Beyonce bee? I wish it was the Beyonce bee. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a Beyonce bee? Excellent. I, I, there was definitely something named after Beyonce this year. Um, I thought it could I think it's an insect, but I didn't Beyonce know if it was. Beyonce does work. It would make sense. They, I believe Beyonce's fans do call themselves the beehive. Yeah. So it would make sense that yeah. there would be a bee named after Beyonce, but it wasn't this one. So Kit named this bee after her dog Zephyr uh, because the bees have a cute little dog-like face, the sort of a protruding part of the insect's face that looks like a snout. Um, and according to a media release Curtin posted on Cymex, Zephyr was also a great emotional support for her during her PhD, and so she wanted to honour him for that. Oh, that's so cute. That's a way better answer than anything we had. That's so lovely. I don't know, I really like Beyonce, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Enter your question. Uh, Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins have been filmed rubbing themselves against specific types of coral off the coast of Egypt. Why do the researchers who've observed this think they're doing that? As a defence mechanism against other creatures? It wasn't a defence mechanism. Anyone want to jump in? I feel like I heard this described as like dolphin shampoo or something. Like they were using it to like clear their skin. Maybe not. Do you want to lock that in as an answer? 
get sure, it in. Sure, why not? <laughs> yep, you are correct. So yes. it, they reckon it was more skincare. Uh, so basically the, the researchers tested the specific types of corals that the dolphins were choosing and they found that they release a mucus um, when when rubbed against and it has all these antibacterial, antioxidant oxidative product properties. So they think that that might help them with skin infections. So say if they've got a bit of a rash, uh, they think that the, this coral might be able to help it, help that rash clear. That's right. It's very cool. And next question, I think we're up to Petra now. So Australian quantum computing manufacturer, Silicon Quantum Computing, made a big announcement earlier this year. What did they do for the first time? But I have <laughs> absolutely no idea. They connected two qubits, I believe, in a silicon medium for the first time. Or maybe it was more than two, but they definitely managed to do a number of qubits together for the first time. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that point to you. I don't know too much about quantum computing myself, but they manufactured the first quantum integrated circuit or the first sort of quantum computer chip even. And so apparently that can model complex molecules, which they could one day use to look at medications or technologies at an atomic level to make them work better. Now, this will be our final round and we'll go back to Ellen. Uh, so Ellen, in a remote area of the Tanami Desert along the WA Northern Territory border, Australian researchers are racing to document ancient indigenous art in the bark of Boab trees. What is threatening this art? Based on the location, I would guess possibly cane toads. Aren't they Not reaching that toads. point yet? No, okay. Termites? Not termites. Ooh. Climate change. Oddly enough, it's not even climate change. This one's almost a trick question. It's actually the natural aging of the trees that's <gasps> threatening. Oh. So the inner wood of the boab trees is quite soft, and when they die, they sort of collapse, which will basically just mean that the art will collapse with them. And the researchers aren't sure how old these trees actually live for, so they're not entirely sure when that's going to happen and, and when this art's going to be lost forever. That's so cool. Well, I mean, it's yeah. not cool that they're losing it, but it's cool that they're able to, to fix it now. You would normally expect that it would be something that humans are doing or an invasive species or climate change, but, yeah, for, for once it's, it's just sort of a... I guess, a natural process. Jacinta, this was a story from earlier in the year. Japanese researchers have invented a chopstick that gives you a little electric zap on the tongue when you use it. Why? I have no idea. What a weird... Why would you possibly want that? Um, okay, I've got two differing thoughts here. My first thought is maybe it's got something to do with, like, getting the taste buds to think that you're, like, tasting something. So maybe it's like a like an umami booster or something, if you have like a really tiny amount of like electricity. The second thing I was thinking was maybe it's like a, like, <laughs> like a trying to stop you eating device. <laughs> it's like, no, don't put that in your mouth. Let's go with the like umami booster gives you a flavor, like taste something with the electric I am going to give you that point. That is, yep, that's, that's a pretty good way to put it. So, Essentially, it's to trick your brain into thinking your food is saltier than it is. Um, so it's a, a very small zap that most of the participants in the experiment said is, is small enough that they could tolerate it every day. Um, and they are hoping that people who are trying to reduce salt in their diet to prevent the health risks that come with eating too much salt will be able to use this chopstick and basically become able to tolerate food that's less salty because they're just kind of shocking themselves a little bit into thinking that salt is there. <laughs> 
But what about the so long-term health effects of having electric shocks every day? It's certainly a pretty dramatic way to uh, to try and reduce salt in your diet, I think. And so now we are down to our final question, um, Petra. So at the OzSMC, our website, Cymex, was designed to give journalists a place to go to find science news. But members of the public can also access a lot of our content. So this is a Cymex-themed multiple-choice question. Can you guess which story published on Cymex got the most views from the public in 2022? Was it A, a peer-reviewed paper from last year on what techniques women can use to have better sex? Was it B, a study from October this year about how the heart and lung capacity and strength of transgender women changes during hormone therapy? Or C, a story from 2019 about whether it's normal for pregnant women to feel their baby kick more in the evening. I'm going to go with the pregnant women babies kicking option. And on your final question for the day, got a point. Yay! <laughs> and so, so yes, the baby kicking story was the biggest um, was the biggest story that the the public uh, read on Cymex this year. It was about seven thousand hits more than the story on transgender women and all three of those stories were some of the ones that were most popular uh, with the public this year time to read out our final results from the quiz unsurprisingly (laughs) in third position we have petra who put herself on the board right at the end there with one point and apart from that we have a tie center and ellen you both are the winners which means you will have to share this incredible (laughs) (laughs) wait is this is is there only one hat for everyone who's doing the quiz or is this per quiz there is there is one hat (laughs) you simply have to share it among yourselves so that brings us to the end of the quiz. Thanks for tuning in to Cosmos Quizmas with the Australian Science Media Centre. I've been your host, Rachel. And thanks very much to the science journalist team from Cosmos Science for joining us today. Cosmos is Australia's science magazine, which supports the great work of the Royal Australian Institute, a not-for-profit bringing science to as many people as possible. This is one of five quizzes for this festive season. To catch up, you can visit the Cosmos website, cosmosmagazine.com and search Christmas quiz. Some of today's questions were taken from OzSMC's top 10 science stories and top 10 weird science stories of 2022. If you're curious about what made the shortlist, visit our news portal, cymex.org. And if you'd like to know more about what the OzSMC does to help accurate science reporting in Australia, visit smc.org.au. See you next time.